called uh, Marcy, uh, Marge and Bill the other night. And uh, they said to tell you all, they love you. And they're really praying for you, especially those of you that promised to write and haven't written. Because they know the only reason you didn't is because your hand is broken or your arms are broken. And they know how much excruciating pain you must be in. And uh, Brother Bill was, he was excited as he could be. You know, his mother's been living in that nursing home up north of us a little ways. Do you remember? Well, she ran off and got married. So that's the reason she hasn't been here. She now lives in Decatur, Alabama. So we all laughed because it was so cute the way Bill said she ran off and got married. You know, you think of a teenager running off and getting married, you don't think of a grandmother. But she ran off and got married to this very nice gentleman and they're spending the weekend with them. And God willing, they're going to be down here right after Thanksgiving. They'll be at her mother's for Thanksgiving. But I just thought it was so good to talk to them, and I told them about the church and how things were growing, and they're just thrilled and delighted. So I just praise the Lord. So all you people that don't have broken arms and broken hands, do write to them. They do get lonesome up there. And Bill's in charge of the youth group, and they have grown from 6 to 18. So that's a blessing. So we've got good news all the way around and good news to report, and I thank the Lord for it. 13th chapter of 1st Peter the 13th verse excuse me of 1st Peter chapter 1 says wherefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I'm going to stop off there, and I hope we get further than the 16th verse. But if we don't, that's fine. In searching out some of the things about wherefore, wherefore gird up your minds. Oh, boy, I can't even read this morning. Excuse my glasses. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind is the first phrase that we need to deal with. And we've got to remember that the mind is the highest place of mankind. Now, you can afflict a person's body and bring all kinds of torture and agony to him, but you really don't have that person doing your will and in captivity until you can bring his mind into subjection. And the Bible tells us to brace up our mind, to make a, a hedge around it, to protect our mind from everything that's going in and that's coming out. Because what's going into our mind should be Christ Jesus, his thoughts, his actions, and what he desires of us to do. But so many times our minds are scattered and going hitherto and yon, and we receive things that really aren't of God. We should make a preparation now for our mind to be concentrated and centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is coming a time 
when we are really going to be in for it a lot more than we are now. In the foreign countries, they're being physically abused. It's nothing to hear uh, somebody beaten for the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes beaten to death because of it. But in America, we don't hear that. And the reason we don't have that anymore is we've went through this phase of Christianity. What we're going through now is mental. They play on our minds. They say, well, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do this and that and something else. But the part of it is Christians do do that. They stand up for what's right. But instead of that, they'll cower us down and make us think because we take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ that we are in the wrong. We have no right to impose our thoughts, our will on anybody else. Regardless of how Jesus said it in his word, we have no right to spread that word. But yet they can spread every damnable doctrine that they can get a hold of. They can classify us as cult. They can do anything they would like to do with us as far as working on our mind is concerned. And if we don't stand up proud and tall, they are going to whip us under. That's why there's no prayer in school. Christians aren't supposed to go into politics. Well, that's a bunch of bunk. Look back through here. Look, where was Daniel? Where was Joseph? Right in the center, in the middle of politics. But what they did do was to keep a high standard. And in providing that high standard, they got placed in, in positions of authority and responsibility. And we should be the same thing and even more so today. But we cower down. And they say, well, you shouldn't impose your uh, ideas on your children. Why not? We send them to school every day and they teach them the humanistic things. Now, we've got to send our children to school. I realize that. But when they're home, they should be taught godly things to offset that. Say, yes, you have to learn that for your test. But no, that is not the truth. Here is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. And if you don't start on children anymore before they get into school, you've almost lost them after they've been there a few years. But I know our little grandson was going to school and the teacher stood up and made a statement. And of course, Mark's not one to hide what he feels. He gave her a quizzical look and she said, Mark, don't you believe that? And he says, no ma'am, but I'm supposed to learn it because I got it on a test. <laughs> But see, this is what his parents had ingrained in him. And they could not shake him from that. It was just like whenever uh, Joy was going to school and she was in the second grade. And one of the teachers told her something and then told the class something. And he said, Joy, you don't believe that, do you? And Joy said, no, I don't, sir. She was not disrespectful. Everybody we talked to. All the kids we talked to said she said sir and she was pleasant and she wasn't rude and rebellious. But she said, I just can't believe it, but I, I'll learn it for you. And he said, I want you to say you believe it. Now, this is how dogmatic he was. And she said, I won't lie. He made her do a hundred push-ups. And the class watched. And then he made her start on her second hundred push-ups when one of the children came out of school. This was right at the end of the school day. They came out of school and came down to our house and told us what was going on. And neither her father nor I took time to clean up and get prepared in a dignified method to go down there. A hundred push-ups for a second grader is too much. It's 
especially when they've never done them before. But he did not change her mind. She had been rooted and grounded in the truth of God. But they never troubled her again. For one thing, her dad told him he better not do a trick like that again and take him to full school for it. But the part of it was she stood for what was right. And she didn't back down at the intimidation even of a school teacher. And it's a shame. We've got good school teachers. But a lot of them just can't be turned loose because the system won't let them be gone. But people, we've got to start girding up the minds of our children, putting a, a surrounding hedge around them, put on the helmet of salvation. Or if they're not old enough to accept salvation's plan, then we've got to teach them straight down the line, strong enough that nobody can intimidate our children and take them away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the same way with us. I've seen Christians cower in a corner because they did not have God on their mind. They did not know his word strong enough and deep enough to be able to answer. This day and age, children aren't like they used to be. People aren't like they used to be. They'll ask you questions now. They don't accept it at face value. And you better have some answers for them. You better have it. If you haven't got it, you say, I'll get it. And next time we meet, I can tell you what you desire to know. But it's in the mind. We've got to get our minds settled and straight on the Lord. We've got to have Christ's thoughts in us. It says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Well, what was in Christ's mind? The will of the Father. Being obedient to the Father. And so we've got to go in here and say, okay, God, now what is your will for me? Where does that come from? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be thinking on? and meditating on instead of worrying about and fussing about things that's going on here in town why don't you get your mind on god and pray about it and he says fret not he'll take care of the situation if we get our minds where they're supposed to be if we're obedient to where he was he said if my people that are called by my name what's his name and how do you get that name you're baptized into it. but if my people which are called by not my name will humble themselves and do his will, paraphrasing the rest of it, do his will, be obedient unto him. He'll come and take care of us. And that's exactly what he wants. And I praise God for it. It says, be sober. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Being sober is to freedom from what would dim our vision. Now, we normally think of abstinence from alcoholism being sober but there's so many connotations to that phrase sober be sober it says you can be sober but you be sober with watchfulness and with prayerfulness and be sober also means self-restraint from what intoxicates you what intoxicates you this morning? well I don't get drunk no but power does power intoxicate you when you get a little bit of authority, do you get overbearing? How about laziness? Some people get intoxicated with laziness. I think that may hit me. <laughs> Lord. Okay, what about pleasure? Do you get so carried away with the idea of pleasure and going out and having pleasure that you neglect your responsibilities to God? 
when we went on vacation and took all of our children, the last big vacation we took, God was the focal point of the whole day. As we drove, we sang and praised the Lord. We talked about the Lord. Yes, they played other games. But God was in that car every day. There was prayer said at night. There was prayer said over our meals. I mean, it was like we just had one long continuous meeting of revival and praising God. And it strengthened our children. And we would look at something and say, oh, isn't that beautiful? And one of the kids would say, yeah, God made it. That's why it's so pretty. And you know, when you look at it that direction, man can't even compare with what God's made. But when you have pleasure, don't get intoxicated with it. How about your business? The business that we're in. Secretarial work, housekeeping, maintenance, policemen, uh, managerial portion, homemakers. What about it? Do we get intoxicated with that and that just fills our life continually and we don't have time for God? Oh, well, I come home so tired. I, I just don't even feel like reading the Bible. Too much energy into it. You put too much stamina that you've got. You brought home the stress of that which you should have left back there and come home and been able to take care of the business of God. We have to make a living, yes. But we don't have to let that living be the focal point of our life. Christ is to be the focal point of our life. So it doesn't make any difference what we do. We've got to be careful with all of these things. We've got to be calm and collected in our temper. You can be intoxicated with a hot temper. Buddy, I know people that whenever they get a temper tantrum going, they have no idea what's going on around them. And as the saying goes, I used to be one of those. I had a hot temper. And I was hot-headed and I was a screamer. I think I could scream louder than any hog caller in the whole country. But when I got irate, I screamed. And Brother Hopal, bless his heart, maybe that's why he has trouble hearing today. I don't know. But I wasn't sober because at the time I was screaming, I could get no input from anybody else. <laughs> but God has come and he's worked on this old girl. Once in a while, I'll backslide but I don't want to. And then I have to fall on my knees and ask God to forgive me for reverting back to the Adamic nature because I don't want that. We our mind and our attitude and get them in correct proportion. I think that basic thing of it is just getting all of it in correct proportion. Oh yes, you'll get angry. But it says be angry and sin not. In other words, don't let your anger consume you so much that you're spilling it all out and you can't hear any justice coming in. And that happens a lot too. We've got to be prepared for the activity that is coming in around us. We've got to be prepared for the golden nuggets of God. Now, we'll get those golden nuggets as the minister ministers to us. And we'll say, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe it was just a simple sentence. Maybe it was just a part of a sentence. And, and bang, it hits you real great. And I didn't understand that. And God hits you with it. 
and you understand. But you can also get the golden nuggets here by reading his word, getting into his word, studying it, and seeing for sure what it says, that Satan hasn't led you astray. There's a lot of scripture that's being quoted that aren't even written in the Bible. They aren't. When you go to look them up, search them out, say, well, that doesn't read exactly that way. If they put an and where a because should be, it changes the whole meaning of it. So we need to study out the word and find out where it's at. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The righteousness here, hope, is in death. For the righteous, the hope is in death. And we don't think about that. But see, when you die, you have a hope of the resurrection. When you die, you're free of this world's care. But you better be prepared to die. There is a preparation. Remember I said a preparation for activity? There is a preparation to die. As many wrecks as we're seeing out here on I-20 and all of these things, I wonder if those people were prepared to meet their Lord. Because, see, preparation day is over for them. So look at the uh, death column, the obituary column in the paper. I look at that every so often and I think, oh God, were they ready to meet you? Had they done all the preparations they should have done to meet you? Because see, this is an activity. Christians are continually active. Once we settle down and say, well, I know it all, I've got it, repented and baptized and received the Holy Spirit, buddy, that's all there is to it. Mm -mm. You become spiritually dead at the time you say there's all to it and you can't learn anymore. And you won't let anybody teach you. I don't care how old you get. I don't care if you've been in church 75 or 100 years. There is something you can learn from every message. I don't care who teaches it or who preaches it. It's there. The hope. Now hope here can be used as two or three different things. It can be used as a confidence are as a constant and constant to the end for the grace or and confident to the end for the grace but all of those are action words moving and getting ready to go forth psalms 31 and 24 talks about confidence and constant psalm 33 and 18 psalm 71 and 5 says thou art my hope o lord god Thou art my trust from my youth. So hope can also be used as the word trust. Because if you trust in God, you are going to wait on him and be obedient to him. That is brought to be unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There isn't a salvation in any other name. When you realize there is no salvation in any other name but Jesus Christ, and you begin to apply that name to your life, not just once in a lifetime, but every day. If necessary, every hour, you apply that to your life. You look for it. It is a revelation. Our grace continues on the revealing and the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's got to be an increasing knowledge of God's way on our path. And this is what it's all about. See, once you learn one thing and you learn it well, 
then does not God tell you to take another step? And he teaches you that. And he gives you a little time to get comfortable with that teaching. And then he teaches you something else. When you were a sinner out in sin, if you knew everything about the church that you was going to have to conform to at that particular time, would you come in? No. You would be overwhelmed. But God is so gracious, what he said is, hey, you are a sinner and you need my forgiveness. Come to the altar and let me forgive you. Then after you come to the altar and you pour out your heart to God and you tell him every sin that is that you've ever committed that comes into your mind. And a lot of these don't have to be said out loud because there's too many people that's got long tongues standing around you. I'm sorry. But not everybody that goes to the altar is a Christian to pray with you. Let me tell you that right quick. There's a lot of people that go to the altar with you so they can learn what's going on. This is why the Bohosa and I both teach, no matter who comes to the altar, those that are dedicated to God, those that are walking a Christian life, you get yourself surrounding that individual and keep the other one back. James 4 and 6 says, He giveth more grace. He giveth more knowledge. He giveth more knowledge.